0: A lovely fellow introduced me to another lovely fellow, and we had a lovely conversation. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. of the Night Crickets, a band which features my guest today on the program, Victor DiLorenzo. Let me tell you a little bit about the Night Crickets and Victor DiLorenzo. All right, before I get to Victor, let me back up and tell you about the first lovely person I mentioned. That would be my pal and rock and roll photographer Doug Seymour, who introduced me to Victor in the first place. Now, of course, I was familiar with Victor's work. I've wanted to interview him for over 30 years, so this was a very big thrill. You're probably familiar with his work as well, but just in case you don't know about all of it, let me fill you in. The Wisconsin-born Victor DiLorenzo rose to global prominence as the drummer for the Violent Femmes. That was my first introduction to him as an 80s teen. Yeah, I was an 80s teen, and I know I'm not anymore, but it never really goes away. Anyway, Victor did really cool stuff before that, And he did really cool stuff after. Let's get to the before. An actor since the age of five. Towards the end of college, DiLorenzo joined Theater X, a pretty punk rock and very ahead of its time improv theater group who performed all over the world. He formed The Violent Thames with Brian Ritchie in 1980, and although the group toured and recorded pretty exhaustively, DiLorenzo still stayed involved with Theater X. A minimalist drummer who comes armed with a spare kit and steel brushes, DiLorenzo is one of the most innovative players in modern music. His rhythms roll and swing with precision and finesse, and his flourishes are infectious, powerful, and stirring. He left the FEMS for good in 2013, and if you're wondering why, go to his website. He has a great letter there that details exactly why he parted ways with them. No questions will remain after you read that note. Meanwhile, his resume has a lot of cool stuff on it. He toured with the Velvet Underground's Moe Tucker, put out a handful of solo albums, opened a recording studio, and formed a chamber rock duo called 1913 with cellist Janet Schiff. But that's not all. DiLorenzo writes the show-off column for milwaukee.com, co-hosts the Frail Pagans radio show on WSUM with Mr. G, and his new project is The Night Crickets with David J of Bauhaus and Love and Rockets. Their debut, A Free Society, is one of my favorite albums in recent memory. Filled with dark percussive beauty and lyrical inventiveness, its sneaky rhythms and melodic touches make it one of those records that stays with you. It's haunting, it's catchy, it's unforgettable. This conversation is fabulous. Victor is such a sweet guy. Totally enjoyed talking to him. I think you're going to enjoy it. So here you go. Me and Victor DeLorenzo having a chat right here on Stereo Embers. The Podcast.
1: music every day but I don't maybe physically practice it every day but but that's one of the nice things about music you can work on it in your mind when you're doing other things and and because I've been playing drums uh since I was boy 16 years old I really don't have to think about the drums that much anymore when I play them they almost I would I would tend to say they play themselves uh, because I've been involved in music for so long that I don't have to think about it as much anymore, playing the drums. But there's other aspects, of course, I have to consider whether I'm an engineer or whether I'm sitting down and playing guitar and and writing a chord structure for a song. So, yeah, it's it's something that I continue to to work on, uh, being a musician. It's 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 uh, it comes second nature to me now playing the drums. But as far as the, the other aspects of music, uh, creation. Yeah, sure. I still I still have to address uh, ideas or or how to get things across.
0: Isn't the 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 idea of thinking about ideas even without doing something about it just walk if you're maybe you're jogging or walking you're at the store and you mm-hmm. think about something that really is part of the process though, isn't it?
1: Oh sure, sure. Sometimes I have trouble coming up with a lyric for a for a particular piece, and I'll find that just just by thinking of it. Uh, and and having studied thought that I can usually come up with something, but sometimes it takes the form of, I have to sit down and write something. Other times I just have to get behind a microphone and just start improvising and come up with ideas that then I can shape and form into whether it be a a lyric or, or a text or what have you.
0: So it's a kind of it's a kind of riffing. Like you'll do a kind of riffing to see where yeah that's a
1: good way to put it. Sure, like a like a jazz musician riffs on on some kind of a motif, right?
0: Yeah, there are times where I'll sit down and I'll do some riffing on the page and I'll
1: walk away with nothing, right?
0: <laughs> Which is a lonely feeling, Victor.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> but sometimes you have to go through that to to get to the sublime. I mean, it's it's not always going to be successful first time out. No, no. And, and those are terrible moments where you go, you know, who am I? Yeah, right. <laughs> why, been... am I? <laughs> why am
0: I? Why am I not selling real estate instead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been so much better. Right. Um, but it, it is part of the process though. And I think that when you accept that and you go, I might walk away with nothing, but I'm, the walking away with nothing is really bringing me closer to the something because it's elimination, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Right, that's always editing involved
0: yeah yeah that's what i
1: found as a writer that that's the most valuable tool is editing and and so maybe maybe you really write uh in a fat way where you have a lot to consider and then by pruning it down through editing you come up with something that's more pure and more concise and to the point because i think that's as a writer I, i don't know what you find but i'm always trying to to make things more simple now I am. As a young man, no. <laughs> right, right. Words were, yeah. they were they were free, so you could put as many as you want in.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, because words were free, and time seemed to be free as well. Right. Right. So, like, I was writing poems that were 40 pages about a girl, you know, sort of yeah, like, sure, like, <laughs> like I, thought, I thought, you know, you give it to her, she's not going to read 40 pages. Oh, no, no be a lot faster. But, um, as I've gotten older, I have gotten more economical. And, um, and I also think that I I also can tell what's not working a lot mm. easier. Do you find that that's the case? In other words, has your has your editing skills become more efficient? Because you're you you know, the terrain better than you did maybe when you were 1617?
1: Yes, but sometimes I I still allow myself to be open minded enough to be excited or amazed and not maybe amazed isn't the right word but i'm uh just happily discovering something that i i didn't know was going to be there and i think that's a real that's a real fun part of it um and, and it depends if i'm writing a lyric i'm more open to to just being in the service of my mind and seeing what develops but if i'm writing a particular uh, text having to do with, say, if it's part of a play, or if I'm writing a review of something or what have you, then I get a little bit more surgical with my words, I think. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I actually talked to David Jay about this. So I know you've worked with, and, um, he said pretty much the exact same thing. You just
1: yeah. Well, you know It's funny because in working with David, we, we've started to, to really have a, a sabbatical as far as, as far as our writing styles and and how we like to interpret things, or what we deem to be important as far as getting across in a song, because because uh, uh, as you know, everybody is is bound to have different opinions about how going about that. But I've found that working with David and with Darwin, uh, we really have a like-minded approach, which makes things very uh, very fun to 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 uncover because it's almost it's almost like when I'll get something back from them onto my computer and I open it up, I almost feel like I'm a kid on Christmas morning and here's here's this new set of words or or here's something that is done with the melody or or maybe they've added a particular guitar part or keyboards or what have you. But but I found that something that could be a dangerous way of working, especially because of the plague, we're working remotely now we're not in the same sitting in a recording studio working together and immediately bouncing off those ideas now we have through the, the course of time going back and forth sending sending bits of information back and forth we have time to really consider what it is that we want to do so when we present it to the other people i think that there's an onus on the individual to to make sure that here's that word simple again and also to to put forward or push forward the idea that's already been established, either by myself or by one of the other guys. So it's almost like you're taking a handoff and you're running with the ball, and and, uh, you're not sure when you're going to give the ball to someone else again.
0: That's an interesting thing to think about, because I think that like a band in a room is a kind of democracy, at least in theory. the way you're talking about it, it almost feels like that That democracy also is, there's a um, sort of a, a component of time which you can almost take a beat and think about something in a way that if you're sort of spitballing in a room with a bunch of guys, it mm-hmm. could be more potentially more volatile, I guess, or potentially more... Um,
1: well, it could be depending on the group of people that you're dealing with. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, the three of us are very... Um, calm individuals and and we uh, know how to express our opinions without getting too heated and there's never come a point where we had a a discussion that was maybe bordering on bringing in i don't want to say anger but 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 trying to get the point across in a very vehement way and sometimes that has to be done In a collaborative sense when you're working with a group of individuals, but I found that working with these two guys that it's it's a very easy. process I I don't have to worry about stepping on someone's feelings they don't have to worry about me and and that helps you to sidestep a lot of crap that that could come up and a lot of things that get in the way these other two gentlemen know how to collaborate. And that how, had a, hasn't always been the sense for me of, of working with different groups of people, but this particular trio, we, we get along very well in that way. Was that a pleasant surprise? Because you
0: never know what's gonna happen. Yeah, you don't know.
1: You don't know what's gonna happen when you're venturing out on, on a new voyage with, with uh, other individuals. So yeah, I was, I was very happy to, to learn through the process that, oh, I think this is gonna work. And I, and I like what we're coming up with. and. We're inspiring each other. it's not okay, what are you gonna do now? Can you do something? It's not having to wait. Everybody's always a part of the process in a very a very real, very um, focused way.
0: And when that happens, do you also start thinking about the future and going like, wow, we can do anything together like this isn't just a one-off. we can just keep going
1: when this with this kind of harmony. Yeah, because we've already done a full-length album, we have created a video which is yet to be released and we're already six songs into another record that maybe will come out next year well wow. so we're just working all the time and even though i'm doing other stuff i have a another project called 1913 which is with a, a cellist janet schiff and so we have a a drum cello duo that we work with here in milwaukee and then I'm also involved with writing projects and, and playing with other musicians, doing session work and stuff like that, or, or remote recording for people. So, so I'm, I'm trying to work with as many people as, as possible because I I really enjoy doing that. And luckily I'm working with other people that don't hold something so precious that they don't wanna give instruction that well maybe I don't think you should work with anybody else You should do work, work with us. Mm. And um, that's something that, that's happened to me in the past, which I, cer- I certainly haven't enjoyed that because I've always, from a young age, I've always been first and foremost a collaborator, probably because my, my initial introduction to show business was as an actor and, and working with directors and playwrights and, and uh, fellow actors. And you you really have to be a collaborator in that regard. Where sometimes when you're working with different musicians, if you acquire fame, then sometimes these individuals get a head full of ego, and it starts to become some kind of a foot race or, or see what I'm doing for you. Why aren't you doing more for me? Uh, Don't you realize I'm a little bit more important in this particular organization? I mean, stuff, stuff like that starts to happen. and then. I think sooner or later, whatever you're being involved with goes to hell.
0: I almost think it has to, when you portray it like that, right? Yeah. Too combustible. Um, One of the things I love about theater is, I remember the plays I did in college, right? If I see those people, it's been 30 years later, it's like we were on this team together. Um, And so you do learn that collaborative, I mean, theater is so collaborative. Um, Also TV and movies, of course. Um, but you do, you're right. You do learn early on, like we got to play together. Everyone has to work together and then oh, the sure. machine will be amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. 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 And, 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 uh, musicians that don't have that wonderful look inside the world of theater or, or performance as an, as an actor, um, they don't, they don't have that in their toolbox. So they're just, a lot of times musicians are going off of what they think their idols have done. Mm. Whereas coming up in the world of theater and, and having it be a true collaborative art, you really learn from the people that are around you. It's not as though uh, I'm, I'm starting to, to think, say, embarking on a new project that what I'm going to do is try and pimp Marlon Brando in this particular play that I'm doing. I don't think that way. I, I always try to serve the director and and the playwright. Um, whereas some of these young musicians, they just have it in their head that they want to be the the next Billy Eilish or the or the uh, the next Credence Clearwater or what whatever it is, right? I mean that they have that in their mind. Where I was taught that you should have an open mind and and let whatever the project is bringing to you infiltrate. Rather than going with a preconceived notion, because I think that's sometimes that's a real recipe for failure. And
0: that's the thing about David J. I've always admired is that he always seemed to know how to how to serve the song. I saw the Jazz Butcher play in San Francisco in like '89, and he said, "Here's a Bob Dylan song," and he played a David J. song, and I believed him for like 20 years that it was a Dylan song. This is before the I didn't know I couldn't look it up. Right, um, I had no idea. And then I found it later and I went that rascal, but, <laughs> you know, but, but it was convincing. And I thought, you know, David Jay is one of those guys that to me, he, he was so out of the box brilliant as a writer yeah. um, and clearly as a collaborator in two, in two really high profile bands. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's nice to hear the harmony that you have with him. He's, he's a remarkable writer, really. remarkable. Oh, I, I love
1: his writing and and I, very happy to report that he's really taken a shine to what i do too the stuff that we're writing for this this new collection is just amazing and it's really dealing with the world at large now the first record that we put out i think was kind of scratching a bunch of itches that we all had but i think we're on a mission with this next collection of of music and it's very time sensitive now to what's happening uh not only as a result of the pandemic but also what's going on in in the war, uh, what's happening in the social scene in America, whether it be, how do we deal with uh, these judges on the Supreme Court? What do people think about abortion? um, How do we elect officials that we can trust? uh, What's gonna happen with this January 6th committee? Is anything ever gonna really pan out? I mean, a lot of this stuff, we didn't really, have a conversation, the three of us, and say, let's write about this on the next record. It just started coming into everything that we're writing. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that that we've got a little political stance in what we do in our band. So it's not just a lot of fun and games, even though I mean that plays into what we do too. But this is the first group that I've had that really has an attitude towards what's going on in the world of politics. And that's very refreshing for me as as a as a writer to be able to be uh, observant and and to narrate to a certain extent what's going on in our world around us.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that that David, who's such an elegant writer, um, is probably bringing that elegance to those troubling, coarse issues. So it, I'm really interested to hear how he how that's how that's going to be done. I'm. I'm
1: Well, it's funny because I I had uh, been working on a, a piece of music and then I wanted to write a lyric for it, but then I was hitting a wall and I couldn't come up with anything. So I had a title that I liked because I wanted this particular piece to be about war, but I didn't want to have some glib title. And it took me a while and I finally came up with The Story of War, which was the title I came up with. And I threw that to David and I said, David, I'm having some problems maybe coming up with text for this. Do you think you can take this on? And he was in the middle of reacting to a bout of COVID. He had come down with COVID. So he was getting up in the middle of the night and turning on his phone and just speaking into the phone, these kind of COVID uh, Oh, what would it be? I guess he was having not not a not fits, but he was he was certainly reacting to the sickness. And what was coming out were these brain hallucinations, right? so so he came up with this whole story about the story of war. And when I finally heard the lyric when he came back with it, well, it's not even a lyric. it's more of a, a spoken word piece. I was just, so happy i went yeah this this is what i was trying to come up with and you nailed it and so we've we've done that for each other a few different times now which is it's really fun to see that have, having that kind of communication and, and almost borders on you know we're, we're in each other's minds we don't have to think about it so much that's a
0: lovely creative
1: partnership mm-hmm.
0: Did you guys ever cross paths in the old days, or was this it? Was a fairly new?
1: No, I, I didn't really know that much about Bauhaus to tell you the truth. Um, I got to know David because I met Darwin first at Coachella when Violent Femmes played there in 2013, and this fellow came up to me and introduced himself, and it was Darwin, and we got to be good friends, and then I I found out that he was managing David J, and then Darwin was working on a video and wanted to know if I would come out to the West Coast and work on it. And I said, sure. And that's when I got to meet David J. in The Flesh. And that's when we started to become friends. And it's just progressed from there.
0: How about Janet? How long have you known Janet?
1: I've known her for over 10 years now. We've been playing (laughs) together. Uh, 1913 is a duo. Janet plays cello and uses a looping pedal and I play different kinds of drum systems depending on if whether we're recording or we're playing live. So uh, that's a really healthy relationship that we've had now for over a decade, and it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Originally, when we started, it was a three-piece. There were two drummers and Janet, but then um, the other drummer had problems with his back, so he had to drop out, and then Janet and I just experimented rehearsing just with the two of us, and we found that it worked fine. So we decided to to start performing live just as a duo then, even though sometimes we have other musicians sit in with us. In fact, last night, we had a rehearsal here. I'm in my studio here right now in Milwaukee. And uh, we're working with a a incredible keyboard player named Matt Meisner. So so he's a part of uh, 1913 when it becomes a trio. But sometimes we we perform as a trio, but most of the time it's as a duo.
0: Yeah, it's two very very different projects. The Janet and David, totally different. But I imagine that just is right. uh, keeps you so creatively fit.
1: Well, it's it's nice to have the options, and uh, and to have the man woman dynamic is nice too. Um, and Janet has also worked. In fact, I think she's on all but two of uh, the songs on the first Night Crickets record. So she will be part of of that system when we go out and, and play live, which hopefully will happen next year.
0: So did it surprise you that the song started to veer towards the political or did it, or did it feel, it almost feels this is wrong, but it almost feels irresponsible not to address the things that you're talking about because there's so much going on right now that is so uh, upsetting and and potentially could alter the the course of this country for the for the next uh, 100 years mm-hmm. so the fact that it seeps into the music um is that surprising to you that it's like oh we're veering this direction well, I
1: think the three of us are very emotional um honest to our feelings people and i don't know why our reactions to what's going on in the world wouldn't come out through what we're writing uh, that that's something I think we celebrate as as uh, as writers, the three of us, that that it's not just making up a pretend story about someone that doesn't exist. A lot of times we're writing about things that do exist in the real world, and maybe we might catapult them into some kind of sense of fancy, uh, whether it be fiction or adding some surrealistic touch to what we're writing or or disguising what we're writing about. Um, all those things play into play into the world of of what we like to welcome into our style. So and I think that's a direct result of certainly David and I be involved in theater and and writing for theater and and character development and Arcs of the story, depending on what you're dealing with, and um, the different kinds of writing that you can you can showcase. But I'm happy to be involved with these two guys. It could have it could have been something else that maybe wouldn't have worked out as well. But thank God that that we've uh, we found a way to work together, and we really enjoyed it. Did you get a chance to watch the Beatles documentary, the four part? You know, I haven't watched the Get Back thing yet because I'm, and and I can't believe I haven't watched it yet because I'm, in, I'm an insane Beatles fan, but I figured I was going to wait for the Blu-ray to come out, and I thought it would come out a lot sooner. Now we know it's coming out in July.
0: July, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's the 22nd. It's finally coming out, but but I wanted to wait for it. I, I didn't want to just go on Disney and watch it. I wanted to have it so I could study it as almost like a, a school assignment. <laughs> well, there's a lot to study. And,
0: you know, it's funny, I, the reason why I bring it up is because I was thinking about how, you know, you watch and you think like, it, it'll be interesting to kind of, you'll have to come back on after you watch, it'd be fun to talk to you about it. But mm-hmm. it, I'm not a musician, I've never been in a band, but I, I, I watch it and I think like, is that what it's like to be in a band? Or now in in the 21st century in 2022, what if Lennon and McCartney and and you know and Ringo and George could have collaborated digitally the way you're collaborating with David? Right, right. He almost thinks it might might pre, it might preserve relationships uh, in a in a totally different way. Um, I mean, I haven't
1: thought of it that way, but you're you're right. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's who knows, right? But there is something where because yeah. you can be circumspect about your decisions, your artistic decisions, and the notes that you give. Um, it just seems like it's a softer, more peaceful way of collaborating.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I look forward to sometime in the future where the three of us can be sitting in a recording studio together and working on stuff in the moment. Um, it's nice to have this kind of a studied approach, long distance remote working, but there's, there's something about that sitting in a room with people and coming up with ideas on the spot. That uh, I, I always I always love that, and I'm sure we'll have that in the future at some point. But uh, it just as a system, it just works right now to do things
0: remotely. Mm-hmm. It does, right, right. Yeah. I mean, there is something kinetic about being in the room together, where it's sort of like right. It's a little the dynamic is different. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I I um I like the idea that some collaborations wouldn't even have happened if it wasn't for the technology that we have so i'm really grateful that a lot Mm -hmm. of these things can actually happen yes yes um in terms of your being a creative person do you how important is it do you think to challenge yourself to go somewhere that's uncomfortable creatively where you think like oh this is not my wheelhouse i have to kind of figure this new terrain out. Is is that an important element to keep challenging yourself creatively as you get older as an artist?
1: I like to think of it as challenging myself. I, I think of it more as gathering experiences. And I know early on as a young actor, I was called upon things. I was in a, a theater company here in Milwaukee called Theater X, and we were one of the most um, renowned Experimental theater companies in America at that time. We're talking circa, I joined them in 1976, the summer of 1976. I came into the company because my friend Willem Defoe was leaving the company to go to New York to find his fame and fortune as a film actor. So I came in as a young actor out of the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. I had auditioned for Theater X and I got the call to become part of the company, I was one of 35 people that auditioned and and I got into the company. So I was called upon, because then then after I joined a theater company, I was a living working professional actor. So I was called upon to not only teach um, theater games, but also to develop original material. Or to interpret the classics in a in a modern fashion, which Theater X did all of that. So, so there were certain situations I found myself in early on that, yeah, they were very uncomfortable because we were dealing with some subject matter that that uh, wasn't easily addressed. So, so I learned a lot about myself, and and also one of the main things I learned as an actor was you really have to allow yourself to go certain places that maybe you don't want to go, um, whether it be dark or whether it be an uncomfortable situation or you're trying to attach yourself to something that you don't really know that much about. So you have to really find out a lot about that in terms of research and also the old method technique, I mean getting involved with your feelings and and transmitting those feelings into to um, someone's work of art. That's you know that's the actor's vessel is, is his body and his mind. so so sometimes you have to take it through some really rugged terrain to get at something that satisfies what either the producer, the director, or the writer is is about or wants to convey so, yeah, and and that's something that I, I take into music too. and 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 a lot of musicians don't have that ability because they don't have that experience that I have. so i can I can I can really argue for stuff or I can let things slide a lot let things slide a lot easier because of my experiences. I, I know when to really put my my uh, flesh into the game, and I know sometimes when to really Lay back and let other people take the lead. Mm, yeah, and it's how
0: important. it's massively important, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's where the key to that, to me, seems like would be to sort of quiet the ego, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. if you're thinking like, "Well, oh, this is my moment," or that's not what it's about. That's and that's also not collaborative to think right. like that. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's interesting to me, to, and and was there a huge improvisational element to theater acts?
1: Oh yes, very much so. Okay. A lot of times we would uh, design certain improvisations to get at uh, theatrical problems we were have having working on a piece. So we would come up with a series of improvisations to try and find out more uh, about what maybe the characters would would do, or maybe what we as actors would would think the characters would do or um, maybe help the writers to, to just wrestle with, with certain questions that they have and maybe uh, go away for a while and then come back and present something, some kind of an improvisation based on a question they have. And, and all that stuff was fascinating to me because it's all mind work. I just love that stuff. I mean, my my favorite artist is Marcel Duchamp because he wanted to bring art back into the service of the mind. Mm -hmm. He didn't wanna just have things being painted on a canvas. He wanted to have people when they would look at something to respond in a a very visceral way to really have those uh, thoughts come into their head that aren't just, oh, that's pretty, the use of color in that picture or, oh, it's nice that there's a little boy and girl there and they're holding hands or something. It's, it was more, what what can I bring to it that that brings the mind into it in a more, um, what would you say, more of a, more of a presence and more of a, uh, using, using the mind as, as a way to discover things rather than just some place to put thoughts. Yeah, and
0: with him, I love him too. And to me, the experience of his work is more active rather than like just seeing a painting and going, "Mm, I love that color and walking by. With Mm -hmm. him, it feels like it's more, there is a dynamic there where it feels like there's this relationship with the artist where it's not confrontational, that's the wrong word, but it feels Mm -hmm. like it's more it's challenging you to, to elicit some kind of a response, the other stuff might not be challenging you in the same way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but his body of work is is fascinating in that regard. Yeah,
1: yeah he's the mentor that uh, sadly I never got to meet, but he certainly has influenced, influenced me rather in in so many different ways.
0: Yeah, I also had the idea of sort of kicking through the medium and challenging the medium itself, which is why I always liked punk rock because of that. Um, And Theater X sounds like it had a kind of punkish kind of kind of. Oh, it it was
1: it was definitely punk theater. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, it was, was, you know, at that time, it was a group of very young individuals uh, in college or just coming out of college. And having a thirst for, for theatrics and, and not only the classics, but uh, really trying to reflect what was going on as far as writing for theater happening at that time in the in the early to mid-70s, what what was what was happening in theater was very exciting and, and Theater X was was a really big part of that. I mean, we had we had quite a reputation worldwide. In fact, every few years we would make it over to the McCree Theater in Amsterdam because we would be invited there to uh, to work on particular pieces and then tour them in the, the circuit throughout Holland. So I would be there sometimes three months at a time creating a brand new piece, rehearsing it, and then taking it on tour. So, so as a young actor, that was, that was just my dream come true. I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. I was getting paid for it. I got to travel. Uh, I was meeting other artists with like-minded ideas. It was just fascinating. I mean, I I look back at that time and I would almost have to say that time in my life was more exciting than anything that ever happened to me in violent films. Really? It just was because I I started as an actor. I, I wasn't a musician. I I looked at music as just something that was part of good movies or or a theatrical experience or television. It it wasn't something that, oh my God, I want to be like Bob Dylan or The Beatles are fantastic or you know, Captain Beefheart, he's got a way with words, whatever. I I just, I just really found myself in the world of theater. That, That was really my happy spot for me. Imagine, if you will, a free society where the empty horses can run wild and ad hoc without fear of variance, variance of concern. conversation is between Juliet and the thimble And Oumuamua is visiting from a galaxy
0: far, far away
1: A free society A free society the boss and
0: the frail pagans can be at peace in the house of heat
1: A free society A free society A free society where the voice coil comes down the trace of both and the Dark Watchers, the vigilantes, Oscuros, are listening, 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 listening to Night Crickets.
0: for me doing plays in college and then between classes going into the theater you could almost breathe differently just hanging out in there right it's like, yeah right it's different i mean it's just a different place and the idea of you at 23 or 24 years old in yeah. in amsterdam um i mean that does seem like a recipe for some of the most amazing oh, moments of your life
1: it was wonderful it was just so wonderful and Ritsart Tenkara, who was the director of the Mikri theater the Mickery Theater had uh, a mission statement, which was to bring in actors, uh, theater companies, writers, uh, directors from all over the world and put them together in, in different variations and settings and see what they would come up with, which was just fascinating. So it wasn't like, oh, let's bring over Theater acts, and they'll, they'll do what they're doing this season. It was more, come on over here and let's put something together that we don't even know what the hell it's going to be, and and that was very exciting in all different ways, of course. But um, I suppose that that prepped me in a way of of what I expected to get out of musical uh, situations, working with with different musicians. But it came to pass that I found that no, that that wasn't really. <laughs> What was waiting there for me? It was a lot more of uh, trying to cut through sometimes people's problems and fighting egos, and and uh, of course, then when you start to become successful, fame enters the problem world and also greed. Mm. I mean, all those kinds of things that I I never had to deal with in, in uh, theater. So, yeah, it, it was it was. It was two different ways of of, of looking at, at something that, certainly both of those things are important in my life, but if I had to choose one or the other, I think I would gladly say I'd, I'd rather have a life in theater.
0: Yeah, I get what you mean, because it, it's just the way you're describing it, though I've never experienced it. It sounds to me that going from theater to a band, it almost feels claustrophobic because the theater seems like it's just wide open vista where anything can happen. I and mean, when right. in a band, you're in this tight unit of three or four people, right. um, the, the, the claustroph it feels claustrophobic
1: the way you're describing it. Well, the idea of a band is to have an identity mm-hmm. and, and to put that forth and to follow through with that identity time and time again, the idea of working as a, as an actor is your the scope is always changing, right? Your, your focus is always different. You're always examining a different set of problems. Uh, you don't, you don't want to repeat yourself. Whereas in the world of music, I mean, people want you to repeat yourself, even though maybe the musicians don't want to, but that's kind of what people are looking for. Oh, why isn't that record like the last? I love that last record. Why is this record so different? What are, what are they doing? Well, they're trying to grow as artists is what they're doing, but some people can't accept that. It also makes you understand why a
0: band would decide to do something radically different where, um, sure, it might alienate people, but, uh, but they need to do that or they're going to, they could go insane if they
1: don't. Right, right. You just feel stagnant. You feel like you're not doing anything.
0: Right, right. I know out here in the Bay Area, like, you know, we have the Shakespeare, the Shakespeare um, in the park here and it's, but, but they'll do, they'll do Hamlet and then they'll do, they'll do Moliere that that is, they'll do like four plays a season. So it's like Hamlet, Moliere, and then it'll be like um, maybe Tennessee Williams. And it's like, those are all very different things, (laughs) but like you can see as a company why it's important for them
1: to do that. Oh God, it's, it's so invigorating to know that, oh, we're going to do that piece next. Oh, fantastic. And how is that going to be different from what I'm doing now in this piece? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when you're working with, well, when you're working with established playwrights, it's one thing, but when you're getting down to the nitty gritty and working on an original piece, that's a whole different set of of, uh, problems that you have to solve. And I, I find both to be very exciting um But there's a little bit something more special about working on something that's totally original, because mm. then you can really bring yourself to it. And if you're working on something original, as when Theater X would work on stuff together, it's the director, the playwright, and the actors all working together. It's not that the director shows up with this preconceived notion, or the playwright says, "Here, this, here's here's the text." this is what i wrote no it's getting in a room with everybody and working out through improvisations a lot of the times what what is going to eventually turn into a piece that will, will be able to be repeatable on a night to night basis
0: yeah and that's that's a staggering ask you know it's a it's a big thing to do it takes time and it takes patience and it takes listening mm-hmm. you know and it seems like when, again, when you're talking about musicians with ego or any artist with an ego, it seems like the ego is louder um, and you can't, you're not listening, you're not as intuitive because you're hearing like, I want to advance my idea, my idea.
1: Right, um, right. Because you're constantly trying to achieve your idea of what fame is. Right. Or, or oh God, in my, in my world of world, dream of dreams, if I could be like Paul McCartney, then I, I, I would be. Rather than looking to be who you are. Well, with theater X, also what's amazing
0: to me is that you took it to, because you know you took it to Holland. The Dutch got it. Like you toured it, and they got it, which means it wasn't regional. There was something incredibly universal about what you guys yes. were doing.
1: And that's what that's what the Mikri Theater was known for: was bringing in all these acts from all over the world and presenting them to the to the Dutch people which is a great service. I mean, I wish I wish we had theaters like that here in America that, that uh, really, really valued that idea of, well, let's see what's going on in this part of the world and let's bring it here. And then what if we mix these people from d- different points in the world together? Let's see what they'll come up with. That, that was really exciting. I mean, I really love doing that.
0: Did you ever look at something like Kids in the Hall and see the spirit of Theater X and what they were doing? Or or Saturday Night Live? Because was happening at the time, it was emerging. I know it's not quite the same thing, but there was a kind of kinetic energy with with those
1: troops. Yeah, that kinetic energy existed, but we weren't just going for the laughs all the time. Uh, We were sometimes dealing with very serious subject matter. I mean, other times we would get involved in, in things like a farce. I mean, I, we we did one play, which I absolutely loved by Peter Hanka, called The Ride Across Lake Constance, and that is almost like slapstick, almost in the way of how Beckett treated vaudeville in Waiting for Godot. So it it had those funny aspects, but it was still it was still serious subject matter or or serious interpretation of of ideas that, that had a little more weight than just a punchline.
0: I gave some of my book of, of, uh, of Honka, there was like three, I think three novellas in there and they said, what's this like? And I said, contemplative, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's
1: not funny. It
0: was, right, right. It was pretty serious. Have you read his, his novels?
1: Yes. Yeah. No, I, I love Peter Hanka. Oh. I, lo- I love his writing and, and, uh, Hopefully someday we'll get to do some more of his shows, but uh, the Ride Across Lake Constance, that was really a an awakening for me. I just, I love that show so much. And the cast that we had together was just excellent. Um, were you acting with Defoe or would he leave before you got there? No, I, I worked with Willem in learning a role that he was doing. So I had to learn that to take over from him. I see. But then he left to go to New York. And so we, we never really had a chance to work together other than him uh, teaching me his role in that particular play. It was a, a play called uh, uh, Diving Into the Wreck. Uh, and it was based on an Adrian Rich poem. Yeah, I love that poem. Yeah. So um, so he, he taught me his role. Mm-hmm. And then he was off to New York. And, and we had stayed in touch when I Started to get some notoriety, notoriety rather, with violent films in New York. He would sometimes show up to Folk City, and we'd hang out, or um, I would uh, uh, see him um, just, you know, around around the city somewhere. You know, because I was I was doing a lot of work in New York at that time when he was just on the scene. So, um, and I had other friends from theater X that had moved to New York. Uh, Arlene Kalenich, an actress that, that uh, actually Willem used to go out with um, was was still a friend and I, I would come to New York and and one of the times uh, we got together and, and learned a show uh, written by Conrad Bishop called Dream Belly and we took that over to Amsterdam and, and it was a, a two person show and it was a man and a woman and so Arlene learned the woman's roles and so we took that to uh, to amsterdam and and then also toured it uh, on the circuit throughout holland how many years were you in holland well off and on from the period of uh, 1976 through 1980 wow okay yeah. yeah so so we would go not every year every once in a while we would go but when i started getting more involved in in Violent Femmes and, and touring more than I had less and less time to spend with Theatre X, even though they were very gracious in that if I was back home for a spell and they were going to mount a new show, I could I could be part of the show because so I had I had a continuing relationship with them.
0: What is your relationship to travel as an artist now? Do you do you like the idea of getting out on the road and? And going from city to city for little bits, or does that is that not as appealing?
1: Well, I haven't done it on a on a real regular basis for quite some time now. Um, Janet and I get out there and, and do some touring with nineteen thirteen, but uh, at the moment we don't have a booking agent, so we're handling all the bookings. So we're not really doing that much outside of Milwaukee. Uh, we'll get to Chicago. We'll we'll go up north in in Wisconsin, but we haven't really uh, taken the, the show on the road, so to speak. But hopefully that'll change and, and, and hopefully the uh, the effect of COVID keeps diminishing. And that certainly plays a large part in what we want to do.
0: When Theater X is on the road and you guys were, I just finished reading Station Eleven, so there's a reason why I'm at I'm not sure if you've read that, it's about this traveling theater group in a dystopian oh. wasteland you got to check it out it's like the world oh, yeah. oh it's amazing um the world has ended basically because of a virus um and this theater group just goes from burned out town to burned out town performing shakespeare oh it's amazing um, i like that premise yeah it's incredible and what's a it wonder- called again El- uh station 11 Station 11, okay. Station 11, and and at one point, they talk about why they do it, and they say, we're doing theater because survival is insufficient. It's just not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a <really
1: nice. laughs> right? Good line. We yeah, need more. Oh, it's
0: a great line, yeah.
1: <laughs> but it, it really, the,
0: the sort of the closeness and the dynamic of the troupe, even in this kind of wasteland of, of a world that we now have. Right. Um, you really get a sense of the relationships that, that develop and the closeness of the people. It almost feels to me like, like a band. There's just not enough people. And with the troupe, it feels really like a family. And it's a, it's a beautiful book. I, I, and it's, it's dark, but I I would highly recommend it.
1: Yeah. I'm going to look into that. Thank you for the tip. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll, I think you'll like it a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And in terms of, in terms of your I get what you mean though about being out on the road where it feels kind of like, is that, that's an uncertain thing anyway. So playing regionally seems to make the most sense.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I've had the, the lucky, uh, I guess I just found myself in this lucky position when starting to tour as a musician early on, of course, it's just bare bones you know, at the end of the night, asking if someone has a place to stay from the stage and you're in some rickety van driving around and you're making no money. And, and when I started out, of course, there were no cell phones and no internet and this and that. So it was, it was quite a chore to tour. Uh, Eventually, of course, the FEMS gained success. And then we got to the point where we could have a tour bus. So that made things a little more humane. Um, And, now i'm back to that point where when janet and i go out on the road it's just her and i and her volkswagen and i just have a small little drum system she has her cello a tiny amp and away we go i mean it's it's very cost effective because it's just the two of us yeah and uh we don't have to worry about other people we don't have a tour manager um we just go and do the shows and it's and it's been really fun and and very refreshing, because sometimes when you're touring with a, a big group like Violent Femmes turned out to be, where it was not only the three of us, but we had crew people, we had other musicians, um, it, it just gets to be a, a traveling circus. And sometimes the circus is not a happy one. So, so, yeah. so I'm glad I'm at that point now where with, with Janet, we just always have fun.
0: Well, I like that it's punk rock again, but now there's a cello
1: involved. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because people see us, Alex, and first they see the stage set up and they go, a little amplifier, a cello and a snare drum, a floor tom and a cymbal. I mean, what's going to come of this? And then afterwards, people flooding up to us saying, oh my God, I can't believe there was so much sound out of you two people. And, And the stuff you're doing, you're crossing all these different boundary lines. it's some of it's classical, some of it is free jazz, some of it is punk rock, some of it is uh, what we like to call chamber rock. Mm. Um, so so I, I love when we get those uh, uh, those reactions afterwards. It, it makes us feel like wow we're, re- we're really putting forth something that is unique and and at the same time it's accessible it's not unique to the point of oh you know I, I i don't know what i think about that i can only handle that on thursdays or something right <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> i think we appeal to to all different age groups and 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 all kinds of different music lovers
0: and is a fair approximation of janet can i say she's just remarkable as a musician she's a great musician
1: a great yeah. writer and just has a great sense of of the world about her and she's She's been through her trials and tribulations, so, and I think that's one of the things that the two of us appreciate about one another is that, yeah, we can we can refer back to some of those dark days and and uh, when things didn't really come as easy, but but now we've gone through all that and 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 we can really in, enjoy what's happening for us now.
0: Yeah, I love I love her as a player. I just think she's so great. Um, I remember when you, I saw you here in San Francisco um oh it must have been 90. Maybe yeah I don't remember but anyway I couldn't take my eyes off of you because you seemed so happy and so engaged and it was just joyful to watch you play. Mm-hmm.
1: Um well as a, as an actor I figured my role in violent femmes was that of the manic drummer
0: uh,
1: a la Keith Moon but interpreted through my own being what i what i thought that meant and i wasn't trying to be you know like some kind of a weird um i mean goofy kind of a person when i say manic drummer i I don't i don't mean that i mean that there's there's a real intent involved in what i do and i figured that I would be that wide open personality and I would be a little bit more on the happy side because Brian certainly brought the darkness and Gordon literally was in between us and he could go either or. So so we had our roles to play, even though maybe I thought of my role more as a role than the other two guys did. Um, But, That that was an interesting aspect of of violent femmes in that I could I could put on that set of clothes and 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 be that person when when need be. But then afterwards I I didn't have to be that. And I, I didn't have to be that in interviews. I didn't have to be that amongst the three of us when we were working. It was just some it was a guise that I that I put on when I performed. And that was my exact question.
0: I was going to ask if you thought of that as a kind of character, whereas. Oh, yeah. Right, right. And I think, and and I, it didn't seem like the others, I don't know this. It didn't seem like they did, but it, but it seems to
1: me that. No, because as, they didn't have that background that I did. Right, and, right. And even though sometimes even later on in staging and ideas I had for for stage sets that I wanted to incorporate into what we were doing they couldn't see the validity of it or couldn't really understand why I was proposing something like that because I wanted to take it into more of a theatrical direction. I, I, I wanted it to be not just this rock trio on a stage. I wanted to to bring in more of, of my background as a theater person. And I thought that that could really help us Whereas I think the other two guys didn't really, I mean, to a certain extent, of course, yeah, they appreciated a theatrical or a dramatic uh, interpretation of, of of what we're doing because the songs were very dramatic. Yeah, but at the same time, they didn't want to go that extra mile that I wanted to go to really delve into it and really interpret it in different ways, other than just turn the lights on, and play the music, good night, you know. I, I was into the whole idea of of lighting as another character on stage, um, how we would dress sometimes, um, if there was additional props on stage that were to be used. um, All all those different things that I, you know, as an actor and as a theater performer, I wanted to bring to us. But but they they didn't buy it totally so it it never really got to the point where I was happy with
0: it yeah I get it and it's almost like your brain your theater brain just makes those constructs it's just like a very natural thing to have thought about Mm -hmm. you know um but I also think this might be the first interview where someone mentions Justin Bieber to you but I almost think that (laughs) that Justin Bieber doesn't understand i'm assuming i could be wrong he doesn't understand that when you create a character like you did um or a role it is it's it will protect you right you're you because you don't have to be that you're saying you not to be that guy off the stage justin bieber or other people who get famous quite young mm-hmm. it feels like the the intersectionality between the stage persona and the offstage persona that there is no intersectionality where it seems like you're being that guy ordering a hamburger and it's it's not a good look, it's right, dangerous, right. It's very dangerous. So it feels to me that you were very well protected as a persona and a, your privacy is protected when you create a role for yourself in a band.
1: Yeah, I, I understood the separation be, between uh, performing and, and being in real life. Um, some people, like, like you were alluding to, if they're finding success very young, well, then they don't know how to get out of that. They're just trapped into that. Um, and when you get older, it's hard to, I mean, I think about Gordon now singing some of these songs about, can I get a date to the prom? How do you, how do you make that work in your mind? How do you, how do you present that? I mean, of course, it's just a song and you're interpreting the song, but at the same time, you're dealing with these well, I, I suppose it all applies in a theatrical sense. It's how you interpret it. I mean, Gordon certainly doesn't try to come off as a, a fifteen-year-old trying to find, you know, a date. No. Um, you know, he's 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 an old man now, and he's um, interpreting these songs that he wrote when he was very very young. And I imagine that's that's a hard problem to deal with. And I'm glad I don't have that. Because uh, sometimes when we'd be playing those songs, I'd be thinking, "Wow, this is this is really days gone by, isn't it?" <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it does make you think about like I
1: don't know. I mean, it's sort of you know
0: like your favorite songs, uh, but you figure thirty or forty years later, you know, some of them need to maybe put in mothballs because it, they don't it feels might, like, but it feels strange as an older person to be singing a song like you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and uh I know the fans always want that kind of thing, but I don't yeah. know. I I have to ask you this because I was really I've told this story to my friends, and the more I tell it, the more nonsense, like it sounds like it was a dream that I had. And I can't find any evidence of it on the internet. So you can you can <laughs> actually help me out here, Victor. But okay.
1: in uh, somewhere around I'll to do your or, service.
0: <laughs> okay. In 88 or 89, I was working in college radio and Michelle from Slash. Uh, invited me to a bakery in San Francisco, a French bakery, where you guys hadn't played in a while, and you played this acoustic set. And Bob Mould was there. I thought he was smoking miserably in this bakery, right? And I know <laughs> someone, someone handed me a Ministry CD, and I the more I think about, it, the more I'm, <laughs> like, did I make this up or did that actually happen? Oh,
1: God, well, you know, it it could have happened. I mean, I don't have a remembrance of it, but. Violent Femmes and Bob Mold were both managed by Linda Clark for a while. So we had that same manager in, in common. So we, we could have been there at the same time. And Bob was certainly a friend of ours. Yeah. Um, but that particular show, I don't remember happening in a bakery. Yeah, it was a bakery. I, mean, I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say one time when we played at the Rhino offices in their lunchroom just for the staff. That's what I thought you were gonna say. But but as far as this bakery uh show, I i don't recall that. Yeah, I remember Gordon forgot the lyrics, so he
0: had to like take the lyrics out. And oh. yeah, it was some kind of industry, you know, industry thing. And and Michelle from Slash was really kind to me when I was a, a young guy and she invited okay. me. It was well, that really sounds like
1: one of the crazy films gigs. I mean, because we did a lot of gigs like that.
0: Okay, I'll take that as 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 maybe it happened, but it, it would have been a great dream too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, did it did it surprise it probably didn't surprise you at all when when defoe skyrocketed because he when he was working with you a little bit showing you with that role you must have thought "Well, this guy's just insanely insanely gifted
1: well it took it took him a while he wasn't an overnight sensation i mean he worked uh with uh, the wooster group uh for quite a while before he had any notion of of uh success as a film actor he was he was more known as a as a theater performer uh, for probably his first five years in in new york Um, but my understanding of what willem was was he was another actor and i came in to take his place so i figured well i probably am as least as good as this guy is or maybe I'm better, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Right. So, so I, I, I'm, you know, I don't wanna be comparative because I, I don't like to think that way, especially as actors, uh, because I think everybody has their strong suit. Um, and musicians too. I mean, you can value different individuals for what, what they can do. Uh, some people are highly trained, other people go on instinct. They're both valid, Mm. uh, how you interpret whatever it is you're about to interpret. But I just knew Willem was another Wisconsin guy from Appleton and and, uh, we got along well. I mean, I I just saw him, he was just here at my studio two weeks ago. Mm. Uh, He was in town for, they gave him a a doctorate degree, an honorary doctorate degree at, at UWM here. In Milwaukee, And so uh, he came over for dinner and we, you know, reconnected. We had some of the other old Theater X people come over. And, and uh, we, we, we had a great time just reminiscing about the old days and things like that. And then, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just nice to, to know that someone like Willem, who is so famous, I mean, he's been in over 100 movies, and so recognizable that he can just come here and he's just another, he's just the same guy I remember from Wisconsin. And that that gives me faith and hope. And it's like, yes, yes. That's what I like to see.
0: Yeah, I love hearing that. I also love the fact, by the way, his To Live and Die in LA, he still terrifies me. That role is still so terrifying.
1: Yeah, yeah. Have you seen his one of the latest films he did called The Lighthouse?
0: Oh, I love The Lighthouse.
1: Oh my God. I just watched it about a week ago, and I' talked to him about it when he was here, and I said, You know, Willem, of course, some of those monologues you have in there are just spellbinding, but I got to tell you one thing that that just really surprised me, I mean, how it affected me, but that last image of laying on the rocks with those with those birds picking at the body, it just, wow, it just really got me. yeah. I mean that I mean that film got me in a lot of different ways, but man, that last I didn't expect that last image and all of a sudden it's just there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The the intensity of that movie. That movie is his spellbinding. Yeah. It's yeah, he's an interesting guy because I also feel that he probably is very funny. But... Oh God, yes. <laughs>
1: Painfully funny. Yeah, no, we can laugh about the strangest shit. You know and and one of the things I think we both learn from theater is that we have the ability to be in any kind of a situation and feel comfortable talking about anything. Mm. You know, some people maybe they'd be a little hesitant to say this or that, but we'll just just because of who we are and our training, we'll just we'll just talk about that stuff. and sometimes you have to say, "Oh my God, I'm sorry, you know, but I, I'm just. I'm just an open book in that regard. I'll I'll talk about anything. Well, I saw him about SNL a few months back and
0: he was hilarious. <laughs> and I thought, like, oh, it's it's nice for him to flex the comedic muscle because I, I I know he can do
1: it. He just doesn't get a chance yeah, to I, do it. I wish they would have used him better. I don't I didn't think it was that successful. Oh really? Uh, some of the stuff I like, but but I but I know what he can do. And I, I just thought yeah. they could have they could have really done a little bit more with him. So. Yeah, they, pro- they probably didn't realize what
0: a utility he was. Yeah. You know? Um- one of the things I really like about you, there's a lot of things I like about you, Victor, but one of the things I really like well, is- that thank you, Alex.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know you, but I'm starting to like you. <laughs> I
0: appreciate that. I'm a Bay Area guy and I stayed in the Bay Area and you're a Wisconsin guy and you stayed in Wisconsin. And right. and I like that there doesn't seem to have been any kind of struggle around that. Like this is your home and you stayed there. Was that Was that a natural decision for you?
1: Well, when I was- Early on, like early late 20s rather, I started having kids. And Wisconsin just seemed like a nice place to raise kids. And also being a touring musician, I saw the world so many times that I, I didn't feel that need that I, I had to get out there. You know, I know, I was happy to come home to Wisconsin where things were a little bit more quiet and a little bit more back down to earth. Because uh, I certainly got my fill traveling the world of of the strange, the unique, and the frightening. But um, it was always great to come back home to my family and to just have have more of a more of that uh, that Dr. Jekyll side to my life rather than the Mr. Hyde all the time.
0: Do you still go out and see theater? Do you are you still a fan of the theater when before COVID or?
1: I, I have seen some but not in the past three years i haven't i haven't been to to any any theater mm, but i' I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully going to get back into it uh once once things calm down a little bit more i'm still hesitant about being in large groups of people um and i think that'll you know, it'll come to pass where we'll be able to to go out and and maybe lead more of a normal life again but but as of now i' I'm, I'm just being a little little bit uh you know still in the precautionary phase of of wanting to just take care of myself
0: yeah i think it's wise i'm the same um well i hope you get that blu-ray of get back and then i am hoping okay and hopefully we can have another conversation about
1: i'd love to take on it sure definitely i appreciate your time man well alex it's been nice spending uh this uh afternoon with you and and uh hopefully yeah we will get to speak again and uh, all i can say is keep appreciating what you do and and uh have another wonderful week
0: There you go. Victor DiLorenzo. Really enjoyed that conversation. What a lovely guy. We will have him back. In the meantime, if you want to stay posted about what's going on in his life, well, just check out his site, victordilorenzo.weebly.com. My chat with Victor wouldn't have happened if it wasn't arranged by my buddy Doug Seymour. Do check out his work. He's done projects with some of the greats. From Rodriguez to Lloyd Cole to Victor DiLorenzo, Doug's work is unreasonably marvelous. Look him up on Instagram at Doug Seymour Photo, that's Seymour with an O-U-R, or on Facebook, Doug Seymour Photography. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor, you can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast, or you can email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, tell all your friends, we would be grateful. When I stack it up like that, it sounds like a lot of work. But we would appreciate anything you could do for our program in terms of spreading the word. Don't forget to check out bombshellradio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. That's all the businessy stuff I have for you. I promise. That's it. Let's get back to the music and close the show with a longer listen to the Night Cricket's Black Leather on the Inside. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.
1: Courvoisier and Gold The ritual is the formula. Black leather on the inside. New York round the corner. And the devil is on your top Because he knows you're staying in. Though part of you is always out, but life is where it's in.
0: Life, Life is wearing thin Life is wearing thin Life is wearing thin Life is wearing thin it's life is wearing thin life is wearing
1: thin